Why were we put here? I think everyone wants to know, why were we put here? Why are we on Earth? My purpose in life is to um, to live a normal life, to, to be uh, a citizen, a productive citizen. I don't fully know why I'm here, but I enjoy that. I enjoy knowing that because then that creates endless possibilities for myself. Смысл жизни, думаю, что в жизни, в жизни самой. I believe it's random, to be honest. I don't think there's a plan. I think you make your own destiny. Intentar pasar por la vida de la manera más desapercibida posible. I would like to make a difference, even if it's only in one life. I'd prefer to do more. Love, happiness, joy, yoga. I think oftentimes you, you realize what the purpose was more by looking back than, than looking forward in my way. Some people plan ahead and know exactly what their life is, uh, what their purpose in life is in their mind anyway. direction in life by just meditating daily, um, just coming out here to the beach. Whether it be spending time with friends or family or uh, putting some gas in my boat so I can go fishing and catch a few fish, go home, have a fish fry. Uh, I live day by day. I like to take it like that. Society wants you to think that your life's purpose is all about work and making money and uh, moving forward from that direction, but uh, I think that's wrong and I'm still trying to figure out what's right for me. I'd say that because I think the meaning of life, in my opinion, is to find something that you're passionate about and use that passion to make the world around you a better place. I believe that every human life has a goal, and that goal is to find the God in I think everyone has a reason to live. Everyone offers something to this world, whether it be bad, whether it teaches people to be good, or whether... Um, they're good themselves, but I think everyone has a purpose on this planet. I'm, a, I'm not really a depression person. I know that it is uh, very real, and some of you have experienced way too much of it. And you all know that you can't simply just cheer yourself up. I've not experienced chronic depression, but I do occasionally experience depression, a day or two from time to time. And I, I, I've done it enough to know what it feels like. And one of the ways it makes me feel can be described as the sense of being, I hear myself saying, I am just tired of everything. On slightly darker days, I'm annoyed by everything. And on the darkest days, I'm angry at everything. But usually it's this sense of weariness with life. And like I said, it only lasts a day or two, but I, I, the sense of weariness with life sometimes can even cross into the questioning of God and what he's doing and, and even is he real? Is my faith real? Is what I'm doing make a difference? Does it count for anything? And though I have never gone to the point of desperation over meaninglessness or the purposelessness of life, sometimes I can see it from where I am and I've tasted it. And I can see what it might be to live a life devoid of meaning and purpose. The famous author Ernest Hemingway once wrote, Life is just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. 
we talked about this in our discussion group this morning, that really we don't spend a lot of time thinking about the purpose of our life usually. At least we don't think about it much on this deep or cosmic scale. We just sort of do our life and, and when things are basically okay, there seems to be enough meaning in it and purpose in it enough to keep us going. For those of us who believe that there is a higher purpose, that, that, that life is going to go somewhere, there, there still can be troubling questions about the purpose and trajectory of our own life. We might believe that there's a purpose to life, but our own, sometimes we have questions about that as well. One article I read actually by an, an atheist scholar said, uh, made the difference between a purpose for life, which he said there is not one, and a purposeful life, which he said there can be. There's the questions we ask, the big questions about life, about uh, our future, about a, a life partner, vocation, career. Questions about pursuing dreams, about using our gifts or talents or else despairing over whether we even have any. There's the deeper, grander questions about making a difference, about making a contribution to society. Or sometimes they're very real questions and motivators we aren't quite, won't, don't always want to be quite honest about, but the search for meaning and the pursuit of money, beauty, fame, power, or pleasure. The great Russian author Leo Tolstoy had it all. Wealth, family, success, and fame. By almost anyone's standards, Tolstoy should have also possessed a great sense of joy and accomplishment and purpose, but he did not. Tolstoy said, my question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions. Lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live, as I had found by experience, was, what will come of what I am doing today or shall do tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy. Mm. The one thing that haunted everything he did and accomplishment he had was the inevitability of death. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy, he asked. Tolstoy could not shake the feeling that the finality of his inevitable death made everything in life meaningless. And, of course, Tolstoy is not alone in this sentiment. The U.S. today, perhaps the most or one of the most advanced, affluent, comfortable cultures in all of human history, but at the same time is arguably the most depressed, medicated, and directionless culture in all of human history. You might say we are restless in the midst of prosperity. There's actually a book of the Bible that addresses this despair of meaninglessness. It's not a book we spend a lot of time with. It's kind of a a different book. It's Ecclesiastes. Some of us boomers got a little bit familiar with Ecclesiastes back in the 60s. In 1967, I got to hear the yardbirds sing live for everything there is a season, turn, turn, turn. The turn, turn, turn is not in the Bible, by the way, but the rest of it is. That's maybe all we were familiar with, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. He was the third king over a united uh, kingdom in Israel about a thousand years before the time of Jesus. He was the richest, wisest, and most powerful person of his time. This little tiny kingdom, but at this slice of history, he was the wisest, wealthiest, most powerful person. He had it all. He tried it all. He had learned it all. He taught it all. He wrote about it. And some profound things happened as a result of it. But right in the first few verses of Ecclesiastes, he names the meaninglessness of life. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The second verse of Ecclesiastes said, 
You might be familiar with some of the older translations, the New American Standard, Revised Standard, even back to the King James. It says, Vanity of vanities, says the pre- saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This is Megan's mic. Megan and I have quoted this reference in the past when we've been remodeling bathrooms. We walk into a showroom, we go, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So, anyway. That's why the word meaning, I think, or meaninglessness is more effective here. It gets at the point better in our contemporary language. After a long list of meaningless realities in life, the writer says in 16 and 8, verses 16 and 18 of chapter 1, I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. He builds a case for the meaningless of life even when you've worked hard at it and tried to build into it. And then he steps any farther in chapter 2. He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female servants, singers, and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. He makes a strong point here that there's actually no meaning in all these things that he's done. Wisdom and knowledge are meaningless. Wealth is meaningless. Pleasure is meaningless. Life is meaningless. All of it. But then he begins to build the case for the living God giving meaning and therefore purpose to everything. Chapter 3 says, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil, that this is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. So he begins to build this case for meaning in this life, but not just life. Tolstoy said, yeah, you can maybe have meaning, but it all suddenly stops at death. But the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, says he has set eternity in our hearts. And you know, the Old Testament does not talk very much about eternity. But Solomon nails it in Ecclesiastes. What plagued Tolstoy, no matter what was achieved, accomplished, purpose in one human life was destroyed and meaningless in death. But Solomon declares that there is an eternity for which we live and into which we live. And he concludes at the end of his book in chapter 12. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Fear God, reverence God, believe in God. Keep his commandments, live the way he has designed. The point of the book is life is meaningless and purposeless without God, but God gives everything meaning.
Beyond Solomon and Ecclesiastes, though, Scripture also points uh, to the purposefulness of creation. We're taught not only that God created everything, but that God created each of us uniquely. That he has plans for us, that we are imbued with gifts and and talents and, and potential. And life takes on purpose as we live into that creation and live into the design God made for us. I love how the English author C.S. Lewis puts it in his book, Your Christianity. In fact, I have to say, last night at the banquet, I enjoyed sitting next to a a man who has worked with Larry on boards and uh, by his own admission is not much of a person of faith. And and he said, what one book besides the Bible do you think somebody should read if they're exploring Christianity? And I said, mere Christianity. (laughs) And uh, I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. The reason why it can never succeed is this. God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine, as car is made to run on petrol, gas in England, and would not properly run on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. Isn't that great? He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. Living into that means to live into the way God has created us, creation. Another word for living into our created purpose that I love is the word flourishing. This is kind of a fun word to say, isn't it? Flourishing. When Jesus spoke of of his purpose and coming, he said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. To live into that creation means to flourish in God's purposes. To live into the reality that we're created in the image of God and begin to to take that on as we trust God is to flourish in the presence of God and to the full creation that he called us to be. And purpose comes with that. Another word I love is the Hebrew word shalom. It's simply translated peace, but also is much deeper and richer than that. It means all as it should be, all as it was created to be. God's perfect shalom is a place where we, uh, not not only just the absence of war or conflict, but a place where, where righteousness reigns, a place where justice happens, a place where there is harmony and there's reconciliation between people. There's a shalom. It's the way it should be. Still another way to affirm our purpose from a biblical view is a popular one with what we might call the next generation of Christians. It has to do with justice and good works. It has to do with our, partner, our purpose uh, to partner with God in restoring a broken creation. Participating with a God who wants to see wrong things made right. It's always been there, but it seems in, you know, how uh, seasons go and different decades go and certain things that come and become popular and yet popular because they take on a a richer meaning. And so more and more these days we're hearing of the restoration of broken things being part of our purpose of partnering with God in that. Pastor and social commentator Gabe Lyons says this, The next generation understands restoration as connected to the gospel. They are motivated by the fact that Jesus restored their own soul and is constantly in the process of restoring them. That is driving them to go out in the world to fix things which they come into contact with that are broken. We need to create something that the world can interact with that will help them get restored, and not just spiritually. 
So this next generation is really capturing the both end of the message, that it is restoration of spiritual things, and it is also to very physical, tangible acts that the rest of the world gets to interact with. There's loads of purpose in that when you see that God saves it not just to to save us and forgive our sins and guarantee a trip to heaven. That happens. But the part of the purpose that he gives us now is to partner with him in, in moving back towards that shalom that he created in the first place that got broken in the fall. Broken, fixing broken things. Megan and I spent most of Thursday and Friday this week with a bunch of people who believe this and live this. We were at a pastor's gathering sponsored by World Vision. World Vision is who we, as a covenant partner with in Congo, uh, to do Covenant Kids Congo. Several of you sponsor children, and because of that connection, we were invited uh, to go there. Uh, it was really hard to discern whether we should go when they offered free lodging in one of our airfares. But, and, oh, did I mention that it was in Fort Lauderdale? But, um, it, uh, <laughs> but seriously, uh, World Vision is amazing. It's the largest Christ-centered humanitarian organization in the world. And there's a people who, who believe this. This is what we are doing. We are partnering with God to bring restoration. They, they are reaching such success in different places, and I've seen it with my own eyes in northwest Congo, that their programs are working to raise people out of extreme poverty. That they really believe that we may be able to eradicate extreme poverty in our lifetime. If that doesn't have purpose in it, I don't know what does. And so it brought me back much more encouraged to engage in what we're doing here, to encourage those of you who are sponsoring children, to encourage you that are not to consider sponsoring a child. And now I'm going to start encouraging those that sponsor one to say, why not two? Megan and I are ready to take on a second kid because of what's happening as a result of our investment. And encourage you also to be looking to May 4th when we will be doing the global 6K here. 6K is only 3.7 miles. You can, walk, you can shuffle it or walk it, or jog it, or run it. Uh, But I'd like all of you to put that date on your calendar. Star Wars Day, May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. So if you can remember that, uh, we will be doing it right here and raising money for clean water in Congo. Meaning, creation, flourishing, shalom, restoration, and purpose. Purpose. So how do we connect with it all? The simple answer is God gives purpose, God gives meaning. But it goes beyond simply believing in God. See, connection implies that it affects how we actually live our lives. There's a big difference between believing God exists, and we'll talk about is there a God next week. There's a big difference between believing God exists and then living as if he exists. Some say one of the fastest growing religions in America is practical atheism which is populated by those who claim to believe in God, but live life as if he doesn't exist. Zing. (laughs) Right? Author Brennan Manning, some of you may be familiar with him, Regamuffin Gospel, totally a grace person. He said this, the single greatest, greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. It makes me pause and reflect a great deal. And I hope for you as well 
that we would be willing to ask ourselves the question, to do the self-exam and, and say, how am I living? Am I connected to what God's doing? I may believe everything Scott said about purpose up there, but is it affecting how I am living my life and what he is calling me to? This is not a guilt thing. This is an encouragement thing. God is always inviting us back and always graciously welcoming us back to process these things with him. Jesus, in today's reading that Edith read so, so beautifully, Matthew 6, speaks of all the things we worry about and focus on in our, in our physical lives. That part about don't worry about your clothes. How many parents poked a teenager? Okay, I'm just kidding. Anyway, um, how many felt it here? <laughs> how long did I stand in front of the mirror today? Yeah, but seriously. Jesus speaks of things we worry about and the focus on physical life, and then he lifts our sights up to this bigger place of, uh, 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 of meaning and purpose. And he says, rather, instead of fussing about this, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Look to his kingdom, which means uh, the place where he reigns, a place where we experience his presence, a place where he will order his prior- our priorities around what's most important to him. Seek first the kingdom and its purposes, this idea of, of, of making a difference, of, of restoration. Seek first his kingdom, this place where flourishing and shalom are possible as we put him first and do life his way. Seek first his kingdom, let him be the petrol in our tank. And his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Which means, of course, right living. Living rightly. But it also means making things right. Righteousness and justice are often interchangeable throughout the word of God. And so his righteousness is not that we just try to be good people. It is that. But it's also that we work at making things right. Restoration. And what can that look like for you in the year ahead? Perhaps you are exploring God Or perhaps you have discovered God and know God and you know much of this life I speak of and yet for specific purposes in the year ahead you have questions. And that's why, again, I return back to word for the year that Diana has mentioned and led us through already. But just to take some time and let this sense of purpose for your life revolve around this and asking God of what might help me especially focus on what you have for me. What might especially help me to seek first the kingdom And seek first the righteousness of God. We were created to know and love God personally and in that relationship to partner with him in kingdom work. We're very individualistic as Americans, of course, but let's ask this question. What would happen if a lot of us said this at the same time? (laughs) What would happen if we not only believed this, but if we pursued it together? What if we pursued this together, flourishing and living fully into all God has created us to be? A partnering with him to fix what's broken, not all over the whole world, but in the places where God has given us an opportunity to have a touch, whether it be northwest Congo or right here in Naperville. And in that, therefore, showing his love and compassion to the most vulnerable, to the most skeptical, to the most broken, and to those who are despairing of the meaning of life. Does life have a purpose? Yes. Let's pray. Lord, to say yes is so simple and yet it's so deep and complex. So I pray for all those that are gathered here today, Lord God, that you would take us those deeper places into your heart. 
of discerning your purposes for our life and your discerning our purposes for our life together as a community of faith. That we would know you and love you and be able to share you with those who need that purpose in their life as well. We pray in your name. Amen.